Chapter 10 So, how'd it go with your grandparents on Saturday? Dan and Carter were walking down the hall at Shadyside High Monday afternoon, on their way to advanced math class. Carter was dreading it. Dan smiled. It was nice. Boring, but nice. It was my grandmother's birthday. She's 70. 70? Wow. What did you do on Saturday night? Carter swallowed hard. Me? Oh, I was with Jill. She didn't have time to say more than that to her relief. They reached their classroom. Dan and Carter went in. Dan sat next to Carter, and Carter sat next to Jill. Adam wasn't in his seat. Jill gave her a funny sort of smile. Carter gave her one back. Mr. Robb closed the classroom door. A second later, it opened again. Both Jill and Carter looked up. Carter saw the dread she was feeling reflected in Jill's face. It was Adam, last one in as usual. He cast a smug glance toward Carter and Jill. Both girls quickly turned away. Adam loped to his seat at the back of the room. Carter felt Dan's eyes on her. Had he caught Adam's glance? Did he wonder what it meant? When class was over, Carter let Dan and Jill go on ahead of her. She walked slowly down the hall, sure that Adam would approach her. He did. She felt a tap on her shoulder and turned to face him. He opened his mouth to speak, but she spoke first. Adam, I've had enough, she said in a low voice. Our little arrangement is over. From now on, you're going to leave me alone. Do you understand? Then nervously, she waited for his reaction. Would he burst into a violent rage? Would he walk away? He stayed calm and didn't look the least bit rattled. You're right about one thing, Carter, he said. Things just aren't working out between us, are they? We need to change our relationship. Carter didn't know what to say. Why was he acting so agreeable? What was he up to? I've been thinking it over, Carter, and I don't think we should go out again. She was too weary to feel relieved. This is what she wanted, but there had to be a catch. I'm glad we agree, she said carefully. You know, that little service I performed for you, I think we both know what I'm talking about. It was pretty valuable, right? I mean, most people would pay a lot of money for it. Yet you got this valuable service for free. That's not fair, is it? She said nothing. I figure taking an important test like that and getting good results, it must be worth at least a thousand dollars. So that was it. He wanted money. She couldn't believe it. She was angry now, and she had to let him know it. Listen, Carter said, trying not to speak too loudly. You offered to take that test for me. You told me that all I'd have to do was go out with you once. I've done much more than that now. Much more. But no matter what I do, it's not enough. How much longer is this going on? Adam casually studied the lines in his right hand. It can stop whenever you want, Carter, he said. Of course, I'll have to tell your father everything. Carter's muscles tensed. He had complete power over her. If she didn't do what he wanted, he could ruin her life. Look, she said angrily, I'll give you the money if you promise to leave me alone. That might work. Give it a try. He walked away slowly, casually. She stared after him, burning with anger and frustration. Where would she get a thousand dollars, she wandered glumly as she walked to her locker. She pulled open her locker door and glanced into the mirror inside. There was a flash, then a sparkle. That was it. She touched a hand to her left ear, the diamond earrings. She'd have to sell them. She had no choice. She took the earrings off and put them in an envelope. If only she had the box with her, but this would have to do. After school, she took a bus to the old village. There were some antique shops there. Carter remembered going there once with her mother. Mrs. Phillips' stepmother had died and left her some jewelry, most of it, not to my taste, as Carter's mother had put it. She'd taken the jewelry to a shop on Antique Row and sold it. Now Carter clutched the diamond earrings her father had given her and scanned the four antique shops in front of her. She tried to remember which one she'd gone to with her mother. That was the one she didn't want to go to now. She didn't want to take any chances that her parents would find out, and she didn't want anyone to recognize her. 
Bentley's was the shop her mother had gone to. Carter chose the one farthest away from it. It was called Corelli's Antiques. A little bell rang as she pushed the door open. A tall old man stood leaning over a glass counter. Behind him, Carter saw a wall full of antique clocks, all set to the correct time and ticking and whirring noisily. Carter approached the glass counter. "'Hello, miss,' said the old man, straightening up and smiling. He had a slight Italian accent. "'How may I help you?' Carter opened the envelope and let the diamond earrings fall into her palm. She held them out to the old man. "'Someone gave me these earrings,' she said, "'but I already have a pair like them. I was wondering how much I could get for them.' The old man studied her face. "'Does he suspect something?' Carter wondered. "'Maybe he thinks I stole them.' She glanced away, pretending to be fascinated by a marble statue of an angel. When she turned back to the man, who was examining the earrings through a jeweler's loop. "'These earrings are of a fairly high quality,' said the man. "'I suppose I could give you seven hundred dollars for them. Seven hundred? That wasn't enough.' And Carter knew her father had paid closer to three thousand dollars for them. She shook her head. "'I know they're worth a lot more than that,' the old man sighed. "'All right,' he said. Nine hundred. Fifteen hundred, said Carter. The old man laughed quietly. "'No, my dear, one thousand dollars. That is the most I will pay.' The man's expression was firm. Carter knew he wouldn't go any higher. She bit her lip. "'All right,' she said. One thousand dollars.' The old man took the earrings and slowly counted out ten hundred dollar bills. She stuffed the money into the envelope that had once held her earrings. Carefully tucking it into her backpack, she went home. She spent the rest of the afternoon in her room, trying to do her homework, but she couldn't concentrate. She took the envelope full of money out of her backpack and opened it. She held the money in her hands, staring at it. A thousand dollars. She was holding a thousand dollars in her hands, and she was about to hand it all over to Adam. For what? For good score in her achievement tests. For helping her get into Princeton, maybe. For making her father happy. For keeping it all a secret. Was all that worth a thousand dollars to her? It was. It was worth a thousand dollars. And a lot more. Her father was late coming home from work. He was usually late these days. He couldn't leave the courthouse without being mobbed by reporters and photographers and curiosity seekers. The Henry Austin case was heating up. So the Phillips family ate dinner later than usual. The judge felt that it was important for the family to have that time together. He demanded that Carter and her mother wait to eat with him. That night, Mrs. Phillips didn't call Carter to dinner until after 8 o'clock. Carter was starving by then. She hurried downstairs to the dining room. Her father was already seated at the head of the table. Carter went over to him and kissed him hello. Then she took her place. How's the case going, Daddy? she asked. Her father frowned. Carter noticed how lined his face was. It's going well, I suppose, said the judge. The prosecution's case is very strong. All the papers say they think he'll be convicted, said Mrs. Phillips. He sounds like a terrible person. I think he actually enjoys hurting people. Yes, said the judge. The facts that have come out of this trial are very troublesome. He sighed. The stuffed fish was served, and Carter began to eat. Why don't we talk about something else, said the judge. How's a spring fling coming along? He turned to his wife. I had a terrible time in my meeting today, Mrs. Phillips said. Rita Weston may have a degree in design, but she has the worst taste when it comes to floral arrangements. Carter tuned out. She hated to hear her mother drone on about her committee meetings. She was lost in her own thoughts when she glanced up to reach her the butter and found both of her parents staring at her. Carter, didn't you hear your father? said Mrs. Phillips. He asked you a question. Oh, sorry, Daddy. What is it? She turned to her father, so he could see that he now had her full attention. His face was red. Your earrings, Carter, he said. Where are your earrings? Chapter 11 Carter set down her butter knife. What was she going to tell him? Not the truth, that was for sure. 
She had to put them off somehow. Oh, Daddy, she began. I had such a scare today. I wore my earrings to school like I always do. But after June class, when I was changing in the locker room, I noticed that one of them was missing. Her father paled slightly and put down his fork. He lifted his napkin and wiped his lips. Mrs. Phillips didn't bat an eyelash. Did you find it? asked the judge. Carter could hardly bear the hurt on his face. Don't worry, Daddy, she reassured him. I did find it. I spent ages looking for it, but it turned out to be stuck on the sleeve of my sweatshirt. It must have come off while I was changing. Judge Phillips was obviously relieved and started eating again. But when I examined it, I saw that the back was loose. That's why it fell off so easily. So, on my way home from school, I took the earrings to a jeweler to get them fixed. You should have told me first, Carter. I would have taken them back to the place I bought them. Which jeweler did you go to? Which jeweler? Carter racked her brain for the name of the jewelry store. She remembered the shop in the mall, the one with the necklaces she and Dan had checked out. I took them to that place in the mall. What's it called? Sparkles, that's it. Judge Phillips made a face. I wish you hadn't done that, Carter. What kind of jeweler calls itself Sparkles? Will they do a good job there? Oh, Daddy, I'm sure it will be fine. Stop worrying. Carter wished she felt as carefree about the whole thing as she sounded. When will they be ready? asked the judge. I'll pick them up for you. I don't want you to have to pay for this. After all, those earrings were a gift. No, you don't have to do that, Daddy. You and Mother are so busy these days. Besides, I met them all all the time. I'll pick them up. I don't mind. Nervously, she watched her father, silently begging him to accept her excuses and lies. The more he asked her, the more she had to lie. And with each lie, she dug herself a deeper hole. She wanted him to believe what she said. But every time he fell for another lie, she felt more and more guilty. She could tell by the way he was eating, concentrating more on his food and less on her, that he was tired of talking about the earrings. All right, Carter, he said. He was focusing on his plate, picking out a fishbone. I'll give you the money for the repair. Let me know what it comes to. Thanks, Daddy, I will. She felt even more guilty now. He was going to give her more money, but she wouldn't turn it down. She knew she might need it soon. The next morning, on her way back from gym class, Carter passed a knot of kids in front of the cafeteria. Carter recognized most of them. They were in her grade, but she didn't know them well. They were the girls in the secretarial programs, the guys in vocational, or kids who were just in the regular school track, not in honors classes like Carter. All except for one. Adam was standing in the center of the group. He had his arm around a skinny, pale, freckled girl with light red hair, Sheila. It was the first time Carter had seen them together since she'd gone out with Adam. The sight of them together was a bit of a shock. She wasn't sure why. She'd always known that Sheila was Adam's girlfriend. Sheila wouldn't let her forget it. But somehow, she thought of the Adam she knew as a different person from Sheila's boyfriend. The Adam she knew wasn't going out with Sheila. He was going out with Carter. He was a brilliant boy from the wrong side of the tracks. He wanted more out of his life than his friends did. A boy who lived on the edge, who had a fierce sort of charm. Someone who could teach Carter things she had never learned in her plush, protected world. Suddenly, Carter saw that the Adam she thought she knew existed only in her mind. She made him up. He wasn't real. This was the real Adam, the guy standing beside the cafeteria door with his shirt unbuttoned and his skinny girlfriend clinging to his chest, the guy surrounded by girls in tight jeans and purple nail polish and guys who cared more about what was under the hood of a car than what was in a girl's mind. The real Adam had tried to scare her with a bloody heart to threaten her and blackmail her, using her for everything he could get. Now she hurried past this gang of kids, hoping Adam wouldn't notice her. She glanced back and saw him laughing and gazing in another direction, apparently unaware of her. But then she noticed Sheila, standing cradled in the crook of his arm. Sheila was staring at her with smug hatred, her small green cat's eyes gleaming. 
You lose, rich girl, her glare seemed to say. Carter hurried down the hall. After school that day, Carter tucked the envelope full of hundred-dollar bills into her backpack and walked to the corner. She knew that Adam was working that afternoon. Carter took a seat at the counter, and Adam immediately came over to her. I hope you've got something for me, he said. She didn't answer him. She produced the envelope and slipped it over the counter to him. He took it, but didn't open it. It's $1,000 cash, Carter said, exactly what you asked for. He put the envelope in his pocket. I'll count it later, he said. But it had better all be there. It is, Carter said firmly. Now, I expect you to get out of my life. Leave me alone. Never speak to me again. She stared at him, trying to intimidate him. He stared back, unwavering. A man at the end of the counter shouted, Hey, can I get a menu, please? Adam, Carter said. Did you hear what I said? I've got a customer to take care of, Adam said. He walked away. Carter grabbed her backpack and hurried out. I've just given him a thousand dollars, she thought. He's got to be satisfied with that. He's just got to be. Carter didn't see Adam after she gave him the money, except during math class. And then he ignored her, pretended he didn't know her. Just as before, before the test, the dates, before the terrible last couple of weeks. At the end of school on Friday, Carter breathed a sigh of relief. It worked, she thought. Adam hasn't bothered me for three whole days. At last, he's out of my life. It's like a thousand dollars, but I'm rid of him. Gary asked me what we did last Saturday night, Jill said. I changed the subject, but what if he asked me again? Should I tell him the truth? Jill and Carter were standing outside the library, ready to go home for the weekend. Jill had a date with Gary that night. Don't tell him, Carter advised. You don't know him well enough yet. You don't know how he'd react if he told you you went out with a guy like Ray. I hate to lie to him, though, said Jill. You don't have to lie, Carter said. Just be vague. Just say you and I went to some club in the old village to hear a band. He doesn't have to know more than that. Dan came by. Carter flashed Jill a look that said, Shush, no more talk about this, and smiled at him. Hi, girls, Dan said. Jill said, I've got to go. I'll see you later, Carter. Bye, Jill. Carter and Dan started out of the school building toward the student parking lot. Doing anything tonight? Dan asked her. Nothing, Carter said happily. I'm, I'm free as a bird. Why don't you come over to my house? We can rent a movie. That sounds great. What a relief, she thought. No more lies. No more excuses. She had her boyfriend back. She had her life back. She was so happy she could hardly believe it. After dinner, she dressed to go to Dan's house. Nothing special. Still, Carter loved to put on a neat, clean, knee-length skirt and a yellow sweater. She topped it off with a blue ribbon in her hair. I can wear anything I want, she thought happily. I don't have to try to look tough. I can be myself again. She drove across North Hills to Dan's house, about a mile away. He opened the door for her, and she kissed him hello. He looked beautiful to her in his chinos and blue polo shirt. She felt safe with him, she thought. She walked into the living room to say hello to Dan's parents. Mr. and Mrs. Mason had always liked Carter. Then she and Dan went downstairs to watch TV. I rented Batman Returns and Wayne's World, Dan told her. Which one do you want to watch? Batman, definitely, said Carter. She'd already seen it but didn't care. I'm not in a comedy mood. Really, said Dan. He had narrowed his eyes, studying her face. Is there a reason? What was the matter with him? What do you mean, she asked. A reason for what? A reason you're not in a comedy mood. No, she said. I just felt like watching Batman. Is there something weird about that? No, no, Dan said hurriedly. He stooped to put the tape into the machine. Of course not. He sat beside her on the couch now, one arm around her, one hand holding the remote control. She snuggled against him and tried to relax. What was all that about? flashed through her mind. But then the movie started, and she forgot about it. Still, every once in a while, she thought she caught Dan glancing at her while they watched the movie, as if he were checking her reactions. The entire evening he seemed to be studying her closely. 
Maybe he just feels insecure, she thought, when the movie was over and they were sharing a dish of chocolate ice cream. After all, I turned him down for two dates in a row. He probably wants to be sure everything is okay between us. She glanced up from the dish then and smiled at him. As far as she was concerned, everything was great between them. After her experience with Adam, she never wanted to stray from Dan again. To prove it to him, she put down the dish of ice cream and gave him a big chocolatey kiss. Dan let his spoon fall to the floor. They snuggled on the couch until midnight. Carter could hear the mason's grandfather clock strike the hour upstairs in the front hall. I'd better get going, she said, pulling her face just far enough away from his to speak. You know daddy, Dan said, I do. He gave her one last kiss and stood and helped her off the couch. A short while later, he walked her out to her car. Be careful driving home, he said. They kissed once more. Then he closed the car door and stood in the driveway, watching her drive off. Carter turned on the radio and hummed along to the soft music as she wound her way through the quiet streets of North Hills. She'd driven from her house to Dan's and back so many times she could practically do it in her sleep. Now, as she glided down the dark, curvy streets, she felt as if she were on automatic pilot. Suddenly, a harsh light was blinding her. She glanced into the rearview mirror and saw there was a car close behind her, its headlights on high. I hate that, she thought irritably. She slowed and waited for the car to pass. It didn't. She sped up a little. The other car went faster, too. It was tailing her. She rolled down her window and gestured to the other car to pass her. The driver ignored her. The car stayed right on her tail. She went faster. The other car sped up even more. What's he doing, she thought. He's going to hit me. The faster she drove, the faster the other car went. Her heart raced. Who was it? What did they want? She crossed the bridge and climbed a steep section of road that overlooked the river. Her speedometer read 80. The other car was right behind her, pushing. She couldn't go any faster. She was beginning to lose control of her car. Cold with panic, her heart thudding in her chest, she heard the grinding sound of metal against metal. Her car was being nudged to the right. No! Carter shrieked. The other car was scraping her left rear fender, pushing her off the road. No! The car eased off, then hit her again. Her car lurched to the right. Glancing down, she could see the river just beyond the low guardrail and over the edge of the steep slope. She pressed the accelerator to the floor, desperate to outrun the other car, but it cut up with her, pushing and pushing. Who is it? Who is trying to kill me? She raised her eyes to the mirror. The white light nearly blinded her. It's got to be Adam. The steering wheel bounced under her hands. Her heart leaped to her throat. The road curved to the left. The river out of view now. I'm safe, she thought. She jammed her foot on the accelerator and pulled ahead of the other car, just for a second. It shifted to the right side of her car now. With a loud crash, it rammed into her. No! It was jolting her into the other lane. Into the oncoming traffic. Carter gasped as she saw headlights ahead. Another car was roaring toward her. The car behind her kept pushing, pushing, pushing her to the left, into the other lane. I, I'm losing control! The car began to slide. Desperately, she struggled to straighten the wheel. Too late! She screamed, closed her eyes, and waited for the crash. Chapter 12 With a heart-stopping jolt, her body slammed forward against the seatbelt, then bounced back into the seat. It took Carter a second to realize that she had stopped her car. She dropped her head on the steering wheel and shut her eyes, panting, waiting for her heart to stop racing. When she opened her eyes, she saw out the side window that the oncoming car had swerved and come to a stop on the far side of the road. The other car, the one chasing her, must have sped away. She heard a car door slam, then she heard footsteps crossing the road toward her. She lifted her head. It was a man, a good-looking man in his thirties. He tapped on her window. She rolled it down. Are you all right? he asked, squinting down at her. Carter nodded. Uh, I'm very sorry, she stammered. The car behind me, it was driving too close. The man frowned. You better report that to the police. I will, she lied. What about your car? Is it okay? I think so, Carter replied shakily. 
Anyway, I think it will get me home. I live nearby. Then she asked, What about you? Were you hurt? No, I'm fine. Why don't you try to start the car? See how it works. Carter nodded. She sat still for a minute, staring at the dashboard, still trying to catch her breath. Luckily for her, the car had ended up in the thick hedge beside the road, and not wrapped around a tree or a telephone pole. She started up the car and slowly backed out of the bushes. It seems fine, she told the man. Thanks for your help. He waved and went back to his car, shaking his head. She drove home carefully, one eye on her rearview mirror, afraid that the other car would appear again. It didn't. But when she pulled into her driveway, her headlights rolled over someone standing beside the garage, waiting for her. Adam. She parked the car and got out, slamming the door behind her. It was you, she cried. She was furious. I knew it. What were you trying to do? Kill me? Huh? Adam acted confused. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't want to kill you. No way. Then why were you chasing me? Carter screamed. Why were you? I've been here, waiting for you, he interrupted. I need more money. She glared at him angrily, her chest heaving. Was he telling the truth? Was it someone else chasing her? I don't have any more money, she said. I just gave you a thousand dollars. That's all the money I had. You can get more, Carter. Think about it. You've got lots of valuable things. He gestured toward her luxurious house. That place must be full of stuff you could sell. I bet there are plenty of things you could take that your parents wouldn't even miss. You're crazy, Carter cried. I can't steal from my parents. Why not? Adam said coolly, grabbing her arm. You've cheated on a test. You lied to your father and your boyfriend. I think you can handle stealing. Her face burned. He let her arm drop. You've got until tomorrow night, he told her. Bring another thousand to my house. If you don't, your father will hear from me on Sunday morning. He walked down a dark driveway to his car, which was parked by the curb. Carter stood on her front lawn, her head in her hands as he drove off. It was hopeless. Adam just wouldn't go away. Her life was in his hands, and there was nothing she could do to stop him. I could kill him. I could just kill him, she thought. She pictured herself grabbing Adam's pistol, shooting him. She saw him grabbing his chest. Then she pictured him falling in a puddle of blood. What am I thinking of? She cried, horrified by her own fantasy. But she knew there was no other way out. Chapter 13 The next morning, Judge and Mrs. Phillips drove to a cousin's wedding at Waynesbridge. We won't be back until late, Mrs. Phillips told Carter. I'm sure you can find something for supper in the freezer. If you need us, we'll be at the chateau. I left the number by the phone. Okay, mother. Carter waved to her parents and was grateful she hadn't been invited to the wedding. She needed the day to figure out what she was going to do about Adam. It would be much easier without her parents around asking questions. At 11 o'clock, the doorbell rang. Carter went to answer it. She was surprised to find Dan standing on her doorstep. His expression was grave. Hey, Carter, he said. Can I come in and talk to you for a minute? She stepped aside to let him in. What is it? she asked. Is something wrong? I'm not sure. That's what I came here to find out. Carter gestured to her father's study and said, Let's go in here to talk. Carter stood leaning against her father's massive desk. Dan sat in one of the leather armchairs opposite her. I wanted to say something to you last night, he began, but I didn't have the nerve. What is it? Carter asked. Well, I've been talking to Jill. These words made Carter's stomach lurch. What did Jill told him? She's been worried about you, you know, Dan told Carter. So have I. I could tell she knew something about what's been going on with you, about why you've been acting weird, so I decided to talk to her. I saw her at the club this morning. Carter's face twitched nervously. And she told me some weird things. She told me how you cut your hand on a razor, but afterward there was no cut, no bandage, no scar. Carter glanced down at her hand. The bloody heart. She'd nearly forgotten about that. And she told me about your date with Adam and Ray. Oh my gosh, Carter moaned. 
Dan's come to break up with me, she thought miserably. He's found out about Adam. But Dan didn't look angry. He stood up now and put his hand on Carter's arm. Carter, I think I know what's going on. I didn't say anything to Jill about it, but just in case I'm wrong. No, Carter thought. There's no way he would ever guess. How could he? You got Adam to take your math test for you, didn't you? Dan said quietly. And now he's blackmailing you. He had guessed. Somehow Dan had figured it all out. He knows me too well, Carter thought. She had dreaded this moment. But now that it was here, Carter felt relieved. At last, someone she trusted knew the truth. She was so desperate to have her life return to normal. Carter let her head fall on his chest. Then she broke down and told him the story. Dan stroked her hair gently while she poured out the details. When she was finished, she looked up at him with tears in her eyes. He must think I'm a terrible person, she said. He must hate me. But his eyes were tender. No, Carter, he said. Of course I don't hate you. You made a mistake. That's all. He stepped away from her now, and his expression hardened. He paced the room and said, But I don't believe that creep Adam. Look what he's done to you. You're acting like you're about to have a nervous breakdown. All this time, Carter had never thought about it that way. Sure, Adam had done terrible things to her, but deep down, she felt she deserved them. Listen, Carter, you've got to stop giving Adam money. I can't, Carter heard her voice rising in panic. I can't stop. You've got to do something, Carter. You can't let this go on. I won't let it go on. I'll find a way to stop him. How, Carter? What can you possibly do? I don't know, she said, but I can't stop giving him money. He's ruthless. If he doesn't get what he wants, who knows what he'll do? Look, Carter, said Dan. As long as you keep giving, he'll keep asking for more. It's got to end somewhere. I know, but what can I do? I can't stand it anymore, Dan. I can't stand him, and I can't stand what he's doing to me. He's taken over my life, and he won't go away. She walked around her father's desk and pulled open a drawer. She slipped something out of the drawer. It was heavy and black. She hefted it in her hand. A gun. If I had the guts, I'd kill him. Dan raised his hands as if to shield himself. Carter, what are you doing? Put it down. 